This is the International Education Marketing Podcast, a roundup of news stories and how they might impact marketing and recruiting for the international education sector. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Daniel Chatham, and this is episode 73 of the International Education Marketing and Recruitment Podcast. Our guests today are Helen Jung, Kristen Tuttle, TJ Kimball. Thanks for being here. I'm really looking forward to hearing what uh, what news matters this week in inter- international education marketing. Helen, why don't you start us off? Thanks so much for having me on today. So the Chinese government released its 14th five-year plan for 2021 to 2025, which then kicked off a whole slew of educational partnerships, such as one with the New Zealand Institute of Skills and Technology. Um, This institute is a new public network of vocational and applied education that will step into the leading role of taking vocational education cooperation forward um, with China. Uh, It also reflects closer bilateral relations with other Anglophone countries, such as Australia and the UK, as well as, of course, New Zealand as Chinese students' enrollment at U.S. institutions are dropping for a number of socio-political reasons. Um, For this five-year plan, China is prioritizing vocational and technical education to boost its productive manufacturing base and build a skill-based society, while also keeping China's employment rate of graduates at 97% or higher, which is already incredibly high. Uh, and among all of the short and long-term impacts of this five-year plan's higher vocational, higher education and vocational priority, uh, as well as transnational higher education priorities, one of particular interest is a shift in China's testing culture and thus its attitudes towards prestige in higher education. I hope to discuss this with the panelists and with you, Daniel, later in our episode. Thanks, Helen. That's an interesting uh, situation. I'm looking forward to diving into more as well. Kristen, how about you? What uh, news did you bring in? Um, So the news piece that I brought in today is about how Nevada state lawmakers are using COVID-19 relief funding to support prospective first-generation college students. Um, Lawmakers in Nevada were inspired by a pre-existing program there called the Dean's Future Scholars, which was launched Um, more than 20 years ago by the University of Nevada at Reno, and which was shown to be really successful in increasing the rates of high school and college graduates for those who participated in the program. So this new bill kind of builds on that and is directing the state's COVID-19 federal relief funds toward a variety of different services and programs specifically to support students who are in grade six or higher um, and who are prospective first-generation college students. Um, So basically, it's a really large-scale investment in prospective first-gen college students and something that's really unparalleled right now at the state level. That's interesting. I I think we have some long-term implications to think about. TJ, how about yours? 
Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I went ahead and took a look at an article from Higher Ed, which is talking about promising signs from the new German government. Uh, Germany has been typically led by the Christian Democratic Union for, I believe, over a decade and a half. And the recent elections actually changed the party that is going to be leading the coalition government there. So it will now be led by the SPD or the Social Democrats. Um, the reason the article thought of this as a promising sign, I believe, is because they are essentially talking about raising funds for the university sector as much as possible, um, up to, I believe, 3% of their federal budget, which would be a huge increase. And they want to move funding away from non-university sectors or the private sector into that sort of public education sphere. Um, the SPD is a left-leaning uh, government, certainly not left-wing. CDU is right-leaning, certainly not right-wing. Um, but it shows how kind of a small political change in kind of the world of Western democracy can really have a huge effect on international education. Uh, of course, we saw that here in the United States um, over the last four years uh, that had an effect on everything from enrollment rates to how people perceive the United States. And now hopefully that image is starting to change. Uh, I think we typically think of Germany as a pretty progressive place when in terms of offering things like uh, universal health care and free college. But it's interesting to see them push sort of the limitations of what they see as progressive, especially in the education sphere. And I believe that if they do move towards something like this, if they continue to improve their universities, um, it's going to make it a more appealing location for all types of international study, whether that's study abroad from the U.S. or four-year degrees from other countries. So I just thought that was really fascinating and, and could be a wider theme if we apply it to other political movements around the world, too. Did I hear you right to say that they want to expand funding up to 3% of GDP? Uh, that's what I believe, yeah. They, or at least um, when I'm looking at the article here, it's talking about uh, it, the German Agency for Knowledge Transfer and Innovation would get 1 billion euros. Um, so that would be something new. And then it's basically talking about how over the last several years, the non-universities or non-public sector has benefited massively from government funding, while the university sector has been funded, but basically stagnant in that funding. So now the SPD and its coalition is trying to increase that funding and change the system for the better, even though it's already perceived as one of the best in the world. Our U.S. Uh, defense budget is about 3.2% of GDP for reference. Well, let's uh, zoom out and talk about these um, more broadly. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear about the way you see these things impacting higher education and uh, if these items that you brought up become part of a longer trend or how they might become part of a longer trend, what might be our impact or the impact they have on marketing for international education? In terms of China and what I mentioned about prestige higher education, um, just a very, very quick and uh, general overview. Um, in China, there's very much a culture of testing, um, you know, testing at, al at almost every stage of secondary education and then taking an extremely grueling high school graduation exam to get into college, uh, or sh I should say get into universities. Uh, and even then it's, it's very fraught. Um, and so the government's um, shift towards highlighting vocational education and also its focus on producing a skills-based society um, has really caught a lot of interesting attention in the foreign policy sphere, but also uh, as it relates to international education. A more recent example is that a few months ago, um, English tutoring and English as a compulsory subject were also uh, eliminated from um, certain major Chinese cities, um, secondary education. So this is kind of a, a whole of government and whole of society paradigm shift. Uh, and I'm really curious to see how this shift in 
encouraging education for the sake of learning, as opposed to for the sake of a numeric score, um, will trickle out into the international um, education sphere in terms of international student enrollment at the U.S. Uh, you know, or elsewhere. And also, I think as someone who is taught in uh, China as a Peace Corps volunteer um, in Sichuan province, which is southwestern, so away from the coast, uh, I think I do think vocational education um, and also transnational uh, partnerships where other countries can open up, have an easier time opening up campuses in China um, will benefit everybody in society. Um, there is a lot of lost human capital um, because of one bad score on one test um, early on in their life that kind of decides the, the course of their life. And, you know, with the one child policy, that is also the future of two families' futures as well. So if the news piece about first generation college students in Nevada becomes part of a larger trend, I definitely think this would have a, a really positive impact on higher education generally and in international education specifically. It's definitely broadening and diversifying the funnel for higher education um, and investing specifically in people who are in populations who are typically underrepresented in higher ed. And I think that's really like completely interconnected with international education since so many international education programs either require some sort of advanced degree or are available specifically to students um, who are in the process of completing their degrees. So I think increasing access to higher ed generally will also increase access to international education. I agree with that. And wonder, I guess I wonder about the sustainability of this initiative. What does it mean in two years when COVID doesn't need any more relief or three years or however long it takes? It's a really good question. And something I was wondering too, as I was reading the article, it sounds like they have planned to um, fund this at least through the next few years. Um, but after that, I'm not sure exactly what they have planned. Um, what it does sound like is that over the next few years, they're really trying to create a network of different organizations that can support that are already supporting first-generation college students. And so I think if they're successful in creating this network of organizations that can kind of partner with each other and work together to support this population, then that is something that I could see lasting um, even beyond the, the COVID-19 relief funding. But hopefully it's something that continues to receive additional funding afterwards, because I agree it would be a, a big challenge if if all of a sudden all of the funding completely disappeared. It sounds super important, but the sustainability is is questionable in my mind, just because of the source of the funding. TJ, what, what are you thinking about here? Yeah, uh, just to jump off that point, I think it's, it creates an interesting contrast between how the German government is looking at their university system and increasing funding in a way that kind of prioritizes longevity, whereas the state government of Nevada is essentially forced to look into other avenues of how to get that funding for academics because the federal government in the United States has essentially been frozen in terms of how it funds higher 
universities for decades now. And so I think any state legislator who wants to help students gain access to the university system sort of has to be creative. And finding funds from COVID relief is a creative way to do that. Of course, it raises the immediate question of sustainability, um, but they're sort of between a rock and a hard place. They don't have a lot of options to go for that funding. Whereas with the German scenario, um, it's really a political shift and a sort of following up on a promise. Um, many of the coalition parties, the coalition is made of the SPD, the Greens, and and the, um, the liberals, basically the socially, uh, you might call them socially liberal, fiscally conservative party, they essentially campaigned on the idea that they were going to improve the education system and that improvement was going to last. Now, in terms of longer trends, I think that basically points to the fact that if other countries were to start following that trend, it's hard to imagine the United States doing the same thing just because our situation has been so stuck for so long. And if other countries continue to advance their education systems, it's just going to make the U.S. a harder place to justify for other students to study in when it's so expensive, when there aren't certain protections in place, there aren't guarantees. You have to think about everything from health insurance to housing to this, that, and the other thing. Well, all of the other countries are providing you know, the same quality of education while also putting more money into it and improving that system every year. So it really strikes a strong contrast to me because how do we actually do these things in a long-term way? We are in education. It seems like we're very subject to political shifts. If somebody comes into office or comes into power that doesn't have a strong view of higher education, they can completely sabotage it. And the, inverse is true as well. If somebody comes in and they highlight that as a priority, then it can really be a huge benefit to the country and the entire marketing sphere for education in that country. So that was the contrast that popped up to me immediately. It's just, it, it just seems so American versus um, outside of American in terms of comparison. On the one hand, we have people basically trying to use creative ideas to fill a gap that shouldn't exist in the first place. And on the other hand, we have political parties trying to make good on their promises that people voted them in to do. It's kind of makes me a little jealous of what's going on in Germany, to be honest with you. The thing is, we have with this week's episode, three governments doing three different policies for different reasons. And I, I think if, as we kind of turn full circle and look back at China, the interesting thing to me is that that it's a, an expansion of educational opportunities to include the vocational and technical I'm seeing a little bit of an undercurrent of that in the United States where we think about it not because of our workforce development goals, but we think about it more through the lens of return on investment. College costs have gotten so high. The opportunity costs are so substantial. And this has been a theme that's come up all season in the podcast, I think. But the, the return on investment is no longer as obvious it is still there economically, but it's not as clear. And, and so I think we see a little bit of a motion towards more acceptance of uh, technical career paths and vocational career paths and the training that goes with them as being good alternatives to our traditional stereotypical four-year university degree. And I think it's very fascinating that, that China is making international arrangements and agreements to let students be trained in other countries on the vocational and technical skills. To me, that's fascinating. I totally agree. Um, as you may know, the um, Peace Corps China program actually no longer exists, but here China is uh, expanding its partnerships with other Anglophone countries. Um, and it, it gives me pause. It, but at the same time, as a student in this class, I also think about, hmm, what are the motivations for this? And in my reflection, I was thinking about, well, this is one part outsourcing 
right? You know, divide and conquer, uh, but also one part in building global competence. Um, why design a whole <laughs> curriculum and program and everything, um, you know, workforce development program when they can collaborate with other institutions, other governments, uh, and align their priorities, especially in this globalized world, as we love to say. Um, and in particular, China is really focusing on substantive cooperation, is, is the phrase that keeps coming up in the white paper, um, really focusing on developing campuses that double, international campuses that double as training centers, um, and also having pre-established or pre-approved um, apprentice or internship opportunities so that, you know, the whole marketing uh, element of the recruitment process, but also making sure the students um, from New Zealand or the students from China or from other countries um, can actually make it to those countries in terms of, you know, the, some of the hurdles that TJ was talking about, you know, visa processing. Oh, this partnership between governments already exists. Great. You're in this visa category and maybe you'll even be fast tracked um, because this is a, um, you know, government to government program. Uh, oh, housing and health insurance. Well, you're part of a government um, tra training program or internship or fellowship cohort. It's all being covered for you and so forth. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that would have, well, I should say at the end of the generation, that would have the long-term impact of, you know, greater trade, um, mutual understanding, and even immigration flows, um, you know, as hopefully these students will be able to find uh, work opportunities, or at least develop networking contacts and intercultural uh, business competence for later on in their career, whether they're based, you know, in China, whether they're based elsewhere, or even in a third uh, party country, but working within the region. So for example, APAC. Yeah, super, super. Well, are there other um, connections that you see between these articles or about the, the broader issues as we come into our final few minutes? Um, something that I was thinking about listening to Helen and TJ was just like, um, and TJ kind of touched on this a little bit, just how much some other countries are really investing in their higher education systems compared to the U.S., where we see, you know, the state of Nevada, for example, kind of relying on this COVID-19 funding to support students. And um, so I, I was thinking about those contrasts and also the importance of really supporting students once they get to university in, in this case. The recruitment stage is important, and I think that that's what the bill uh, in Nevada is kind of focusing on, just getting students in college acceptances. But then once they arrive to campus, it's so important to have um, strong systems in place to support those students, Progr like programs that they're interested in taking, support networks on campus, uh, and things like that. So um, it sounds like the U.S. could maybe take a page from the book of Germany, for example, and kind of start investing more in those systems as well. Yeah, absolutely. So if you fill the pipeline more completely, but don't have the support structures there, the longer term impact might be more people leaving or, or failing to complete, and it might have an unintended uh, reverse consequence. Yeah, I can't help but kind of feel like there's a, a interesting sort of spectrum here where it feels like China is looking outwards and creating new partnerships there. Germany is looking inwards and trying to find new ways to fund its public university sector. And the United States is just kind of wrestling with itself to try to figure out what to do. Um, and, and that's based on a myriad of factors. But it's, it's just crazy to think that here in the US, I mean, in 2021, the same party controls all three branches of government, the federal, legislative, and um, executive. And yet, and that may not be exactly the right way to phrase the three branches of government, but you know what I mean? Um, 
yet they still can't get these things passed. I mean, some of these things are, are things that senatorial candidates and presidential primary contenders, you know, really campaigned on. And yet when they get into the American system, they find these roadblocks like the filibuster rule or, or whatever it might be that just stops this sort of from happening. And I, I wonder, it gives me some pause and maybe some anxiety to think, how long can the United States remain in that sort of frozen place while other countries are developing and, and taking in new ideas and finding new means of funding? You know, we're here just trying to scratch money out of things that were part of a, a national global emergency. Um, and we just shouldn't have to do that as the richest, most powerful country in the history of Earth. So, you know, I, I wonder how do we reform that system or how do we advance it in such a way that we kind of look more like a combination of, of the two other articles of the German and the Chinese articles where we're looking outwards and establishing new partnerships and looking inwards and improving our own system um, rather than just scrounging for the crumbs of our relief funding. That gives us something to think about for a while. So I think that's a good place for us to to wrap up. Thank you all very much for being here and participating. This was a fascinating look at three different governments and how they're each tackling a different educational challenge and problem. Uh, and I appreciate your insights. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.